Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, well I had a lovely chat with Hugh Harris of The Kooks and Hugh Harris of a uh, brand new solo album. And when we go in, we, we, we talk about some incredible records and we, we talk about Hugh's creative journey to date. And uh, well, b- before we get on with that chat, um, just a few thank yous. I just want to thank um, Scroobius Pip and everybody over at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, if you've never gone and had a look around the network of podcasts over there, then I suggest you do, because um, there's some amazing stuff for your ears. Um, I would also like to thank 76, who it's his job to make this podcast sound lovely on your ears. And, you know, as as so many podcasts are now recorded remotely over Zoom and things like that, you know, you're never going to get that perfect studio quality that you get when two people sit down in a in a really nice, you know, studio space. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it's, it's given 76 a bit more work to do to, to try and, you know, take the Zoom audio and, you know, sometimes people record their end, sometimes, you know, I don't, sometimes, you know, it's, uh, there's, you know, everybody's still trying to work out the best way to, to record your remote podcasts. But um, what I will say is um, Stu's been doing a great job of um, of getting a really nice sounding podcast for uh, for your ear holes, um, which you're about to hear. Um, what I'll also say is if this is your first time listening to Off The Beaten Track, once you've finished uh, listening to this chat with you, then go and have a look in the archives because you'll find over 150 episodes with some of your favourite uh, musicians, actors, actresses, comedians, producers, DJs. And, uh, yeah, there's stacks of stuff over there. So go and uh, have a rummage around in the vaults. Um, and, yeah, and I guess if you want any more content, if that's not enough, then I do also put out uh, several radio shows uh, a week, uh, video episodes and, and standalone uh, episodes on a Patreon page. So that gives you the opportunity, should you wish, to go and support the podcast over there. You can find out about all of this at offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. Okay, let's get on with today's episode. Please enjoy Off the Beat and Track Podcast with Hugh Harris. <laughs> Off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. And we are recording and sitting opposite me today via the means of Zoom uh, is Hugh Harris. Hello. 
Hello, thanks for having me. Pleasure. Uh, breaking your podcast duck today. I'm loving it. Yeah, very much so. I'm I'm a fresh fresh podcaster, so go gentle. All right, I'll 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 be nice to you. Um, before we get on with um the songs, um, I mean we've already spoke uh, briefly uh, about uh, your, your your weird situation uh, with uh, rodents, uh, mm. but I, I want to ask you, Hugh, just how you found the last sort of three or four months um, as both a human uh, and a creative? Wow, good question. It's been um, hugely emotional, I think, for everyone. I think what has been um, presented to everyone is the value um, of their lives and the value of their living and um it's also been challenged for a lot of people and that's um terrifying and it makes you kind of really hone in on um for me personally I, I went in a very create into a very creative bubble I finished a lot of music videos that I was editing and finished a few songs for my next record and spent a lot of time bonding with my daughter um, before she starts school and so that that was i'm i'm in a privileged position where those things were able for me to you know do but um i think what you know the outside world to me to to my bubble to my lovely creative family bubble there was i a lot of anxiety and a lot of um frustration and fear and i think um you know that that's to get to get through that and come out the other side um is really what we all need to do as people and um as a community and i think that was nice i i did a bit of work with the food banks around here i did a song with um some string players from the area of hackney mm-hmm. and, um we got together and um released um an isolation orchestra um, cover of one of my old songs from the Kooks. And that raised a bit of money and was, I think it was nice to see people, you know, doing what they can to sort of help. I think the, the luxury of being able to pause and reflect and, you know, be slightly existential in that, in a crisis um, is not, not always afforded to everyone. And yeah. so um, it was really, I really valued, I really valued the, the time actually. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, we've touched on music already. So um, I like to always start this podcast uh, when we, when we get onto the music chat, we've asking you, Hugh, um, for track one, what you regard as a song with the greatest ever intro. So I chose um, for this, um, I don't know if this has been chosen before, but Sound of Vision by David Bowie, I think, um, has the greatest intro, just sheerly due to the fact that it is probably the longest intro of any song ever. And it's the most, basically, the intro is the song. And it's a lovely story that I think that it was a mistake in the studio. He didn't quite come in in time. And they just kind of, I think left it and decided to keep it as is. As, and, and it's just this gloriously confident mistake. I mean, so much of my own music is, is mistakes. It's made up of mistakes. And I think 
I can really, it's a really validating thing to hear that story for me because I think David Bowie in so many ways is validating to so many um, artists and so many corners of art. And that's, um, this is a kind of brilliant example of that um, confidence in, in, in your, in yourself, in yourself, in, in every single form of yourself, including when it is erroneous, like, like in, in sound and vision. Um, so what was yeah. the mistake? Should he have come in early with the vocal? I think he was meant to come in like... When the synth, <laughs> when the synth line comes in. Something like that, yeah. Um, like way, way sooner. Yeah. Um, but it's just such a nice... Ex- like it's a bit of a kind of diorama of the song because you just hear the backing vocals and the, the skeleton and the, you see the anatomy of the song before you hear the leader of yeah. the, the song. And that's like such a lovely way of it's such a lovely access point to a pop song. And it's yeah. just completely unique and like, yeah, pretty kind of forward thinking stuff. Was there any other considerations before you settled on Bowie? Yeah, um, there was lots, actually. Um, but this one was, yeah, heads and shoulders above the rest. I think straight out of Compton, NWA was on the short list. Yeah. It's just such an incredible call to arms. Um, and it's just the most shatteringly um, kind of explosive opening um to me and uh it's power it's just power it's all fucking power and and emotion and that's just like yeah that's just that's the best thing about music (laughs) and so i always like to ask um artists when when we discuss intros and I've been trying to ask this question correctly for about 150 episodes now, Hugh, and I've still never quite managed to condense this question into not sounding like 30 questions in one. But I'm interested in knowing, um, Hugh, how you approach intros when when you write songs. And has that changed since the sort of early days of the kooks to now in so far as the considerations you take in from maybe the way that people listen to music now to maybe how they did back then. Oh yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I think, um, I feel like these days intros can be like, say with the coots. I mean, we would, we would spend months and months and months, you know, the four of us in a studio working on each section of each song together pulling it apart, dismantling it, putting it back together, physically playing those options. I mean, now I just use a computer to chop things up and almost kind of like sample myself or sample the song that I've written. And and that's how the, the intro comes about. It's much, much quicker and you can access every available option and, and choose the path of least resistance or highest resistance according to whatever you're going for for an intro um it's it's a hugely different process now um there's advantages and disadvantages to both i mean like when you're in a room with with people 
um, exploring every avenue. I mean, the way we would work would be to take the song down as far as we possibly could down one direction. And that would mean, that would include playing the song in a completely different genre. I mean, like, we try, we would try, like, say our big pop songs, like Naive or Schmoozing Home Way. We would just be like, let's do it in dubstep. I mean, literally, like, let's do it in dubstep. Let's do it in reggae. Let's try cod reggae. Let's just, let's just put in a filter on it. And, and you would play that in the room and see how it felt to us, for, for people's hearts connecting on that. And I don't think you can really do that in Logic or Pro yeah. Tools, you know? Yeah. Um, but having said that, with the computer stuff, yeah, with once everyone kind of started making music on their laptops, you you had the the, the I think the, the the quality of structure and arrangement became less experimental, but also like punchier in a way. And so pop music definitely changed. Um, and so, so yeah. with pop music, Hugh, what what I've also it's it's for me as a, as a, as a lover of music i i it appears to me that pop music now maybe more so in the last sort of 10 years has become something where i'm hearing more songs starting with choruses now and 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 do you do you put that down to the fact that with the sort of evolution of 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 sort of streaming things like you know spotify and things like that where there's constant distractions like you might like this you might like this you know people also listen to this if you like this and do you think it is a case now of people sort of are just trying to grab you right from the off and rather than kind of letting a song breathe and build or you know i I don't know if that's just pop music or if that lends itself to other genres as well yeah it has become a pageant in that sense you know it's like a comp almost com- it's added an element of comp- competitiveness to the um industry streaming i mean f- streams for a band is like is your career now it's crazy it's not there's no longer an end goal there's no longer a let's play wembley stadium we did it now mm. <laughs> that doesn't exist anymore the the end game the end game now is let's maintain a freaking career in music yeah. Let's remind people. Uh, I mean, our management always puts it to, to us very well. You know, it's it's about every time someone wants to go to put a song on, it's about now reminding them that it's the kooks that they want to listen to, and it's, it's about and that's that's why it's kind of a bit of an attention grabbing pageant, um, and that's that's definitely had an effect on intros and on pop music and. It's the it's a different art. It's a different. It's a totally different art now. Pop music. There's no. There's almost no art in it. So it's it's a shame. Yeah, a big shame. Okay. <laughs> Hugh, track two, the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. <laughs> this is not a very cool answer, but um, it's just the truth, man. So um, Lisa Loeb, stay yep. is like. I mean, it does crazy things to me even now. And I've listened to that song thousands of times. It's, there's something in its DNA that is like profoundly um, 
it's beyond nostalgia. It's like more than nostalgia. It's like this melancholic, like imagery of, of my direct feeling of being a kid in the back of my mother's yellow mini driving around London in triple denim with a red bandana scarf. <laughs> right. Hang on, hang on, hang on. We can't, we can't just pass that by triple denim. <laughs> Break that down. What, what's triple denim? Fucking like jeans. Um, you've got like a denim kind of cowboy shirt. Right. A, um, and then a cowboy kind of redneck scarf. Yeah. Like redneck. And then the, the denim jacket. So it wasn't always trip denim. It was sometimes double denim. Sorry, you, you've just abbreviated it to trip denim as well. This is a world I'm not accustomed to. Is this a thing? Trip denim. <laughs> Great name for an album. Hey. Um, it was a really special time in in you know in the 1990s, the mid 90s, and that was just um, how we we dressed as a family was was like that. And um, that song would just that's the memory of my childhood. It's, it's that song just being on Radio One constantly. And there was that and like seven seconds, Yusuf Ndour. and uh, Nine Cherry. Seven, Seven yeah. seconds away. Fucking like those two songs do crazy, like profound, shattering things to my nostalgia. Yeah, his pronunciation of the word million yeah. just sticks with me to this day. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, exactly. I, I, as, as a 47-year-old man, I think Stay come out when I was probably about 18 and not only did that song make me think, wow, Lisa Loeb made me think, wow, she was the most beautiful girl on the planet. And like all of my friends were like, have you seen the girl that sings that song? What, the one with the glasses? That's the one, yeah. Oh, Lisa Loeb was beautiful. Yeah, it's a really sweet, cute girl. Mm. Yeah, mm. really cool person as well. I follow her on Twitter. She's, um, yeah, she's a, she's a cool, cool person. How does it make you feel to know that yeah, I mean, before I ask that question what was the emotion uh, that, that that song gave you it's really really difficult to pin down and I think that's why I chose it is because it's just got a um, it's got like a really light frustration to it that is kind of not it's an egoless complaint I think and I think it's just a really intellectual kind of really smart intellectualization of her feelings in the song and it's just delivered from a very balanced calm like the tone of it is really like i really just admire someone who is able to put their feelings into a song and deliver it in such a beautiful tone without sort of being yeah beautiful egoless kind of tone in that song and it makes me feel like huge amounts of comfort in in the world and with my own kind of feelings too so i guess comfort is the number one thing i get from it really do you ever draw on how that you know how does that feel to you to to consider that you know that there's people that get that from from your art oh it's the whole thing it's the whole buzz of the industry is is being able to pass something on that can be helpful 
in some way to, um, a, you know, someone that has never met you. I mean, that's, that's like, um, it's fucking, it's Gaia, man. It's, it's communication through um, shared experience and yeah. um, shared responsibility. And, and that's a compassionate, lovely thing that art, well, art, I say art, the art world is a small and horrific place, <laughs> very financially driven. But what I mean by art is just expression, I think. Yeah. Like, that's, that's one thing that expression and specifically music is, is really the, mo- the most appealing thing about it is being able to help someone somewhere with yeah. what you're going through. Track three, the song reminds you of your time at school. Um, yeah, so I chose the Deftones, My Own Summer, for this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of reminds me of my time not in school, more so, because okay. it reminds me of sort of being like a time when I should probably have been in school. Yeah. Um, but instead, I was skateboarding behind Tesco's car park, um, drinking Smirnoff ice and pushing my friends around in trolleys. I mean, it's just like that kind of just, it's not reckless. I mean, no one was ever really reckless. It probably appeared as though we were just a reckless mob. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was free. It was a free space. You're in those, that, that stage in your life where you're not really responsible enough to be an adult. So people don't really see you as a threat because you're still a bit of a kid but you're in an adult's body-ish. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's, yeah, the Deftones, I fully threw myself into that band when I was um, at school. Um, they're just like, I hadn't ever heard such an explosive and melodic and a, like emotive um, band in that, in that genre. And I, that's not to say that I was like, a like subscriber to new metal and like Limp Biscuit and all the, the kind of other things that were happening around that, that scene and that time. Um, but the Deftones just really, really stood out to me because of the writing. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Um, I'm, I'm actually recording this podcast with the Deftones later today. Um, I'm, Are you kidding? no, uh, I'm so, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I've got I've got the Deftones on here this evening. Um, oh my God, please say hello. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I'm gonna tell her that you was uh, yeah. I spoke to Hugh today. He's, when we're recording this, he'll be around the back of Tesco's, uh, pushing his mates around in the trolley with uh, some Smyrna fires. <laughs> oh my God, please do. Yeah, I mean, I actually do. Kind of, I have a link to them a little bit through um, Brandon Friesian, who mixed my um record yeah and he also i think worked with them so there is quite a nice like i've been in the room with when he's been on facetime with them yeah i've kind of just been in the corner freaking out (laughs) (laughs) because i'm not able to um to really kind of say hello because I wanted to touch on what, what you said there about like uh, a time when there was, you know, Limp Bizkit and Corn and, you know, Alien Ant Farm and all of them kind of, you know, new metal bands that were, you know, a lot of them were all produced by, um, was it Ross Robinson? I believe was. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, but for me, I'm like you, it, it, there was something different about Deftones. For me, 
I, I could hear, I could hear like shoegaze and stuff like that in it. I, 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 it was far more dreamy and far more layered. And and I think Chino's voice done, you know, he, he would sing and then he could squawk like the rest of them. But it, it, it was the, the melody. But, but yeah. there was, the, the, I felt that that band had. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, the melody is always, always king. Melody wins. Melody is what, what lasts. How was school? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I mean, I did eventually. I had a very rough um, middle section, years seven to nine. It was rough. A lot of bullying, a lot of uh, daily stresses on that front. Um, That I didn't quite have the support at home to sort of, you know, if you're an insecure kid and you don't have a kind of, like strong leadership in your parenting team. My parents weren't particularly a a, a great co-parenting team. Um, Then I think if you have those insecurities and it's like you, you, you're just handing yourself to bullies. You're just like, you're just going to get it because that's what the bullies prey on. And, and yeah, that's, that's what happened to me for four years or so. Um, And I had to leave. I, I, I asked my mum if I could move schools and I kind of disguised it as a music thing. I was like, I mean, it, it, it was a disguise and it was also true because I wanted to do more music. And so she let me um, audition for the Brit school and I got in there and that's sort of where I met Luke. And um, then we both went to college in Brighton and yeah everything was kind of smooth from that as soon as I started focusing on the music and the creative in my life I had a direction and I had stability and I kind of felt like I had um something to hold on to in a sense and that that's that that was my latching on to to music it was from a very very young age did you find Uh, confidence in, in 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 you know music yeah, I think so. I, yeah, definitely. I think you can find confidence in in creative, in things that you create that people respect or um, admire your um, work. You know, that brings you confidence. That builds you up. That's like a, a notch in your in your ego, like the, in in the good sense of the word. I mean, the ego is a good thing to have. Um, uh, an oversized ego is a bad thing to have. Um, and I think that music was, yeah, of course. I mean, I picked up the guitar because, because I was sort of instructed to by my dad, but also because actually it was the one day that I wouldn't have the shit kicked out of me at school. It was the Priory School Rock concert, um, which was once a year. I would get get up and actually perform, and that's that's a brave fucking thing to do for a teenager to get up in front of other teenagers to play an instrument. And it was the day that I would I would get respect, literally through my playing of music. I would it would protect me from being bullied for that day, and I would be respected and even got a girlfriend from it. So it's like it's a, it is a powerful thing. I mean, it's a shame that we. You know, I look back on myself as a child now because I'm an adult and it's a shame that a child would have to 
feel the need to pick up an instrument in order to feel safety. Um, but that's the way it was for me. The Killatrix Future Weapons EP is out now. Self-contract. Listen on all the major streaming platforms or find out where to buy in the show notes. It's badass. Like me, the sexy robot lady. Oh yeah, baby. Right there. That's good. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You know, I, I generally ask, you know, if... if you know, your creativity was 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 nurtured at, at, at school, but I guess at the Brit School, it's a given that the creative side of thing is going to be nurtured. Um, was you was you driven, Hugh? Yes, I was deeply deeply driven uh, to be. From, yeah, from when I was a teenager, I was very very much aware of. I I, I guess it's like a privilege in a sense, that I applied to myself. I think a lot of overprivileged kids um, expect things to come to them in the world. I think I was privileged to the right level in a sense that I saw that if one human being can be doing something, then there's no reason why I cannot be doing that. And that is my privilege, and that is my head start um, that I have. And I think I was extremely but yeah that I was that that drove me that did give me 
a drive. I didn't see why I couldn't be, you know, in a big band or be like a successful musician if I just put my head down and, and did it. Was that you what know? you wanted to be? You wanted to be a musician? Yeah, absolutely. That, that was from a very early age, the thing that I had cornered as my thing because mm-hmm. I had so many emotions to it. And, um, yeah, I never felt like... I get imposter syndrome and stuff like singing on my new record because I'm a bit like, where's Luke? You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's really like a bit of a spin out at times. I even, I sometimes even like sing the backing vocal on my own record by accident because I'm so used to singing backing vocals like a third love or something. And uh, so I, I get imposter syndrome with maybe being the singer of a project, but I've never been, never felt that with being, a musician or playing an instrument. Like yeah. I've always just thrown myself at instruments and, and found my own voice through them. Track four. What was the first record you remember buying? Um, it wasn't, well, it wasn't a record. It was a tape. So it was the lightning seeds. Lucky you. Oh, that's good. That's a good, that's a good first purchase. Great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was a great tune. I really liked um, they they had like such a like the t- again the tone of that of Ian Brodie's work and the band is like it's 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 coming from a kind of like slightly intellectualized but very calm and not too egocentric kind of place. Whereas in those days you'd have big Britpop stuff. Mm. The Lightning piece were just like okay, it's, you know. We're cool, y'all are fucking crazy. We're just going to put out pop music and just, yeah, here it, we are. It was quite weird because, um, like the, the the material that um, I don't know how much uh, music you've heard by the, by the Lightning Seeds, but the the, the the first album they put out with Pure and All I Want and stuff like that on it, um, mm. and Joy, I think, was a single for the album. Like uh, he was like quite reclusive and, and wouldn't play live. Mm. And uh, and I think it was only with like Lucky You and Change and, and the music that he was putting out then that a band was put together and he he started to kind of do the gigs again. So so maybe that kind of explains a little bit as to why he wasn't kind of going down the the Gallagher and the Auburn route of like you know mm. wanting all the attention and the bravado and because it was quite nice you know clever smart gentle pop wasn't it what you know what he done. Yeah, it just felt like it came from like a really like interesting place in its time. Like nothing was coming from that place in those days. I mean, nothing really ever comes from that place because I don't know. I think we're just like like profoundly a dysfunctional, loving um, audience. Yeah. Like we just have dysfunctional um, icons around us, but. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know much about the man's personal life. We worked with him, actually. We worked with him on um, just before our first record. And he was just... As a was, producer? Yeah, as a producer, yeah. At Elevator in Liverpool. And we had this great, great studio and just this very calm, like, balanced... It's just like a kind of, like... I've just always thought of him as this kind of calm, balanced, like energy within the, the crazy music business and it's just nice it's just a nice ray you know and 
yeah, we had a good time recording um, with like a four track EP. And that, I think that, that ended up being really, really helpful to our like origins. Yeah. Um, we were very, we were very young. I think I was 18. I mean, so it was a, a crazy, crazy ramshackle time. But um, yeah, I've always remembered him. And um, yeah, great single. Um, aside from like, you know, early records that you was exposed to, um, uh, through, through, you know, buying cassettes and things like that, what about at home, like growing up? Was, was there records on at home? Yeah, there was tapes. We had like a tape drawer. So the main things that were... It looks like warm to almost dysfunction where um, ABBA was an ABBA tape which I don't know if it was like a greatest hits or something um, and then yeah there was a, a Michael Jackson tape bad um, so quite poppy really super poppy mix but never any vinyl. I, I still don't have really vinyl. It's yeah. a crying, crying shame, but I will one day get into it and it will be beautiful because I love the things and I love the sound of them. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was that. Sort of loving music and, uh, uh, and, you know, playing guitar and things like that. Um, and being exposed to to, to oh, I think being exposed to Michael Jackson because that sounds quite strange. Being exposed to um, Jackson's yeah. Yeah. Uh, records and, <laughs> and exposed to um... just put an elephant in the room. Like, and, uh, to go down that path because um, I do feel strongly about that subject. Yeah, um, I mean, I left a I left a Stevie Wonder gig last summer at Hyde um, Park because he started playing or his DJ started playing Michael Jackson. Mm. Just like, what? It's just not appropriate. Yeah. Um, and I know there's many, many people who would object with. Yeah. Him. It's weird because lo- lots of people have chose um, records by him, for, you know, in their early days. Like you said, you know, he was obviously like supposed to his music uh, mm. then. And, and it's a question that, that then prompts something that I, I like to ask whether, well, it sounds like you can't, but, you know, can you separate the art from the, the, the artist? Like, you know, because I, I'm talking as a, as a Morrissey fan that is struggling with some of the things that he's been saying recently. And I know what Morrissey's been saying is probably quite different from what, you know, Michael Jackson was accused of. But, but can, can, can you not sort of distance, you know, the, 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 the music from... I think, like, I think what you can do is... Um... It, it depends on how it makes you personally feel. Like I feel sick listening to Michael Jackson to my mm. stomach and I had to leave the concert. Mm. Um, you know, I, it's, it's like, what are we accountable for? You know, Michael Jackson was alive during a time when it is illegal to do what he is accused of doing. That's mm. why he's accused. Um, the whole, I Yes, it's all <clears throat> it's a big conversation about whether it's true or not, whether he has been convicted or not. But the point is, how does it make you feel? And, if the, you know, it doesn't make me feel very good. Therefore, I don't want to listen to it. So yeah. music is about feeling good. And if there's a slight taint of, like, something disgusting or, like, then it, it's, 
unless you have the answer, there's no point in even putting yourself in that position because it's just like, what's the point? And yes, I know you'd have to take down every painting in the Louvre and like whatever. But the thing is, um, that's, that's kind of, it, the, the time, I'm not, I'm not saying that it should be time sensitive and chronologically, that morals should be linked to chronology of like yeah. the time when something was and wasn't. Illegal. I know what you're saying here. But it's like that can be taken into consideration yeah. as well. Um, so I, yeah, I'm sure if I was to read more about, you know, um, Gorgan's adventures in Indonesia and the yeah. way he acted underaged natives and impregnated and brought syphilis to yeah when i think about that it's horrific and it does make me feel sick when i look at a gorgon painting yeah um i'm probably not gonna like never go to the musee d'orsay again but i'm probably just gonna feel sick when i look at his paintings like yeah. i feel sick michael jackson's song yeah. and that's that's just that's it i think that everyone's going to have different feelings. Completely. The initial point, um, I, I, I was just, uh, the, the initial question I was going to kind of sort of um, ask was being exposed to incredible produced pop music in both Jackson and ABBA. Mm. Would you deconstruct it? Was you already at a young age working out how music was put together? Would I deconstruct it in the in your head? The yeah. I mean, I would like. Yeah, I would play the instruments like in the air. I would air instrument. Yeah. Bits and like, you know, just kind of jack around and just be a bit silly. And I was aware of the ensemble of and the the, the makeup of of the song. Yeah. Definitely aware. I was actually very very tuned into like backing vocals and funny, cool little quirky moments within the songs. And I think I definitely still do that with my, with my music. I like that detail that, um, those, those, that pop music used to have <laughs> Yeah. Um, back then. Definitely. I think, yeah, I was, um, yeah, kids, kids are smart. Kids are very, very good listeners and they, it's, a, it's it's an evolved thing for their own safety to be able to analyze the situation and de- yeah um, deconstruct yeah um, that's why they're naughty because they need to be reassured they need to push boundaries in order to feel that there is a boundary there yeah. to feel safe and that to, to to do that you have to be naughty and test you know the world around yeah. you and that's that's part of growing. Are you still trying to excuse yourself for pushing your mates around in trolleys and drinking Smirnoff ice to the death tones? How did growing up, man? Hugh, tell me the song. Blame Jackass for that. Exactly, of course. It was the time of Jackass. <laughs> Hugh, the song that soundtracked uh, your years clubbing. I mean, we were like, uh, me and Luke were at like, BIM, the, the modern music um college in brighton we were we literally started the band sort of as a a reflection of 
live music coming over from America in the Strokes and then the Libertines and then Franz Ferdinand. And we would be out like just raging to um, Franz Ferdinand take me out, which was at the time, there was nothing. There was no more, there was no kind of call, louder call to arms than that song. That's a really, really good point you made there when you said louder, right? Mm. I've been a DJ uh, in alternative clubs for 30 years. Right? That's the loudest record you will <laughs> ever play. It doesn't matter if it's every single record has been like for like on volume. You press play on Take Me Out, and that first note is just, I don't know what was done in the recording. It's so much louder than anything else in my entire collection. Wow. And then, obviously, when it drops again, when it all kicks in, yeah. it just goes to another level. It's, uh, I mean, it's an incredible pop record anyway. Yeah, but, it really is. But it's so loud. <laughs> I don't know how they do that. It's clever science, man, especially for its time. I think these days, if something's too loud that you submit to Spotify, then they just reject you because obviously everyone's just wanting the red zone of the meter yeah. with their mastering. And that's like there there is a limit to to that and the platforms are weird like what's your platform what platform do you use to listen to music um if i'm streaming it's, it's spotify Spotify, yeah. Mm. they all sound different and they all have different volume limits and it's a strange art and it's just an amazing science but yeah fans Ferdinand, they, they they were way ahead of it man like so <laughs> So was that you and Luke kind of trawling around all the kind of indie nights in Brighton then? Yeah. Audio. Yeah. Um, and there was like um, Hector's House had a good one. Uh, we used to go to Casablancas a lot to watch the jazz um, there. Then some, some of those beachfront clubs had some decent nights, but that was more like techno. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we would just just bowl around, just in skinny jeans and wrinkle pickers, and just try and not get the shit kicked out of us. Um, and just it was the funnest time. It was the yeah. funnest. Time. Luke had this flat with a balcony um, in Kent Town, just overlooking like the sea was there, and then school bin was there, and we would just sit out and just play guitar all day. And then have big parties and pots and pans parties and proper student stuff, proper student party stuff. Um, and Brighton was the perfect place for all of that. It's, I, I think it still is. Yeah, uh, still is quite a studenty town. Um, but it, it became we outgrew it. You know, it, it got very small very quickly. I mean, we were also, if you're a band that does well out of the scene, then you're hated. So we kind of were like. Not really. We weren't championed or, or loved or as, you know, like you would be maybe coming from Liverpool or there wasn't a huge amount of support for us. It was, there was just a lot of kind of hate. Tall poppy syndrome, I think, is what yeah. it's called. Yeah. Um, so we moved to London. But, um, yeah, I still, I go back sometimes. It's nice. What did you want from clubbing? That, I mean, it was the, the sound system and the songs. Um, and it was 
complete immersive a complete immersive experience it's yeah. like a physically moving thing audio people interaction like every cylinder is on 100% just like I mean they say that your brain is at its most active when it's in a party not when it's solving like the craziest solution yeah. or problem um, to quantum physics um, so there's, there's that sti- that's a stimulating thing being in a party and then the music is stimulating all sorts of other things that work themselves into the mix can be stimulating and it's just just uh, in those days there was no um, camera phones as well so there was no accountability for yeah. like you could you could literally be yourself and not worry about the consequences yeah. of feeling um, like you were a little too altruistic or like I don't know you, you could lose yourself yeah. um, you know, in, a, in a club back, back in those days and, and again the indie gigs back then were just I mean it's like punk you know at the time it didn't feel like punk but Compared to now, that was punk yeah. rock. I mean, the mid noughties was a punk. Compared to now, it's, it was so much fun and so such little accountability. And, um, yeah, it's just a shame at the time you don't really appreciate what you have until it goes. I think you're not going to come back, sadly. I mean, people, like, confiscate phones in, in shows and put stickers over your camera. Um, but it's... Um, in vain, really, because, yeah. Well, no, I, mean, I think the only one I remember that, that seemed to have just got it right, I know Kate Bush, when she came oh, back yeah. and played, she, uh, I mean, my, my mate Pip went and he was like, they literally just shrink wrapped your phones. Like, you, you couldn't, you, you couldn't, like, it wasn't even an option. And now you just think, oh, that's good. Like, just, you know, in, enjoy the the event enjoyed a performance and you know you can tell your pals afterwards that you had a good time you haven't got to send them a picture you know yeah whilst. i mean that that's conversations must have been so detailed back then as well like what what was the gooks like what was you would you would have to be descriptive yeah. yeah yeah lost quite a lot i think to technology now but about 10 well, years not lost we've not lost we've just kind of shifted you know yeah just simulated with technology um, when you combine with Borg um, you are the singularity something like that I don't know Um, that's already kind of happened it's just shifted it's quite strange about eight or nine years ago I saw Madonna at Hyde Park um just purely because I'd never seen Madonna and she was the biggest pop star of my generation growing up. So I was like, I'm going to go and see Madonna. And, uh, and, and it was a, it was a truly dreadful gig actually. Um, but the woman in front of me, the minute, I mean, and it was probably about a hundred pounds a ticket. Um, and the woman in front of me, the minute Madonna walked out on stage, uh, I mean, she must've spent some time in the gym. She held an iPad above her head for about an hour and 40 minutes and I just thought, what's the point? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, like, it's it's just, in the end, I was just, just I thought, I'm not going to tap her on the shoulder in case, you know, <laughs> it upsets her filming. But You should have just pressed the stop button. On the court. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, what a, oh, I don't know. If that's the gig experience you're looking for, great. But 
it, it doesn't tick my box, mate. Oh, it's just weird. How is that enjoyable? I mean, I don't understand that at all. No, it's... I mean, it... Having said that, you think about... I mean, any show right now would be great. Mm. I mean, <laughs> just talking about concerts makes me so sad and so just... Oh, I just don't know if they'll ever be back. I just can't see a way of them coming back um, the way that they were. I don't know. Um, I mean, I run a live venue and have done for for, for thirty years, and uh, it's it's a venue called the Pink Toothbrush in Rayleigh in Essex, and uh, and yeah, it's we've no idea. We've no idea. You know, we've got a a big venue with a you know a lovely big stage on it, and you know weekend club nights, and it's, it's rattling around. And you know, we've seen. I mean, thankfully, you know. Gorilla in Manchester got saved, but you know you, you, you're starting to see venues that, that, in the best of times anyway, are struggling. You know, and 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 now this is like, but you know you can't you can't and we won't reopen until it's safe to do so. And mm. and yeah, it's a it's a very very strange time. And uh, mm. but I'm I'm remaining positive that you know gigs will happen and uh and clubs will reopen in what kind of context initially i don't know but um it's just going to take a bit of time and hopefully they can all tough it out and and hold on Uh, yeah i mean it's got to be safe you're so right about that it's just got to be safe i mean i nearly played a gig i nearly played something um just me and an acoustic um i didn't find out until on the day that um it wasn't guaranteed like COVID safe from the promoter of the event. And I was just like, what, what are you saying? Like, why, why is this happening today? Like telling me that you can't guarantee that the people I'm inviting to this show are going to be safe. How on earth, why are you doing this event? I mean, there's all sorts of kind of desperate things happening, which are dangerous them them knee jerk kind of things you, you, you know they need to be more measured you know if you're gonna start to kind of reintroduce people to events which i think is a, is a good thing if it can be done safely you know but it, that's that's the key it's got to be safe otherwise you know you it's just going to put it all back you know another couple of runs back down the ladder you know you just gotta do it right um track six hugh a favorite song from an artist from your home county yeah, I mean, it's got to be a Fatboy Slim song and it's got to be Praise You um, because it's fucking awesome. And <laughs> yeah, he's a Brighton dude. And uh, I guess I call Brighton my hometown-ish. Um, I'm from Lewis, really, just up the road. But, um, yeah, he was just... He, he is a phenomenal creator and... It's like the father of DJing, I feel like, to me. And such a nice kind of, again, it's got that kind of nice energy to him. You know, he put a free gig on on the beach that I remember going to as a teenager. Um, that's just like, it's got a good spirit around yeah. it. You know, you can you can just tell these things in your instinct, something, something that has a good spirit to it. Yeah. That makes you feel good. That's just what makes me... Yeah, connect to their music. Have you met him, Hugh? 
No, I haven't. Because like, that kind of thing, whenever I speak to anyone from Brighton, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen him about a load. Yeah, oh, yeah, I bumped into Nick Cave the other day, and I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, you know, they're always just walking around Brighton. Every time I've been to Brighton, I've never seen anyone. But, yeah. um, but I think it's the sad thing, isn't it? You yeah. Know, hung out with that person and saw Nick Cave. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think Norman Cook's, um, you know, one one of the, you know, one of our most, you know, he's so appreciated in dance music f- for being fat by Slim, but I think Norman Cook as a creator in general, he's, he's just incredible, you know, like the, the, the body of work that he's done pre being fat boy slim whether that be the stuff he done with paul heaton in the in the house martins you know to, to, to the the genius of of the sampling at the time that he done it with um dub be good to me with lindy late and you know uk number one record incredible what he done with pizza man big hits with freak power you know just constantly reinventing himself and like and putting out just amazing records and and all the time just comes across like one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. It's great, isn't it? That's, mean, that's what you want from your pop stars. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. He's like, like his work is just, it's, it's like, it is just, it is, the, it's like the core of dance music. It is just totally everything that um, kind of came after him is in some way linked to him. Like, in that in that world and that's that's why he's, he's, he's such a paternal figure in all of that it's completely, great completely final track and speaking of DJs you can play DJ now Hugh and uh, you can turn someone onto some music now which is uh, for the last track a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear <laughs> it's um, it's what's it called we know where we are, we know who we are. I can't remember. Um, it's Lin Manuel Miranda um, who wrote this soundtrack for the film Moana. Mm-hmm. Um, great film. I watch it with my daughter regularly. Um, but the soundtrack, I, I have a bit of a funny story with Lin Manuel Miranda. In, in my discovery of him, is that I didn't know how much I liked him and his writing until um, my girlfriend actually pointed out to me. She was like, this is all written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, I had previously, I think, been a bit of a naysayer of the musical theatre world. Yeah. I mean, just in the sense that it hadn't really chimed well with me, the um, sporadic bursting into song from dramatic scenery yeah. is slightly toe-curling for me and... Fair enough. But then it's like, the more I looked into that world, I was kind of surprised because I was, I was, I was taking some singing lessons at one point and um, with a great teacher called Mary Hammond. And she was um, discussing, she, she's from the musical theatre world. She wrote the musical theatre programme for the Royal Academy. Okay. And she was like, okay, so what doesn't chime with you about musical theatre? And I was like, well, you know, it's just not really in my language it's not really in my thing and she was like uh-huh and who do you want to sing like and i was like i don't know i want to sing like like david bowie elton john and she's like musical theater musical theater and i was just like ah okay so maybe i need to kind of relook at this genre yeah of music 
And I think um, around that time um, was the time that my daughter was getting into Moana and and these songs were just in my, like, I loved them. I love the soundtrack to Moana. I think we know who we are or we know where we are. We know who we are. It's this kind of song about um, her ancestors and their traveling of the, the globe as seafaring people. And the song is a kind of like, it's a scream, a screaming identity for your roots. And it speaks to me because I'm on a path of discovery currently about my roots. I lost my parents within the space of a year recently, two, two, three years ago. I'm discovering things about myself, becoming a parent. Yeah. Um, I'm, and this, this song would just absolutely knock me off my feet. You know, we tell the story of our elders in a never ending chain, like singing that proudly. Like I just, I hadn't really been like moved by that genre of music before. And I think that it was at that point that I realized that, that I love a lot of opera, um, a lot of operas and I was in them like from a young age, I was in some Puccini things, um, through um, Glenbourne Opera House. Mm-hmm. And so the musical theatre thing is basically an opera hack, I realised. Musical theatre is is opera, but just like on heat, on steroids, and just instantly accessible and also not limiting to a kind of social-like class thing like opera can be quite an exclusive rather than inclusive yeah. thing, um, which is its biggest pitfall, in my opinion. Um, and musical theatre, and this this all just came to me in one kind of smackdown moment with this song. And um, I think everyone should hear it. Wonderful. Well, they'll get the chance, Hugh, because I'll put together a Spotify playlist to accompany this podcast and we'll add all the records that we spoke about uh, on here um, and, uh, and and some new music from you as well. So what, what's happening now? Um, well, I'm trying to put together an album launch. I've got a record coming out on the 11th of September um, and I'm going to try and do some kind of online show with some strings and some horns and that that record has been like basically eight years of my life and just it's got it's got it's it's a horcrux for me it's literally a horcrux it's like it's my soul is in that record um so i think it's strong enough to let the music do the talking for itself but yeah um, it's it's been a journey and it's been an emotional, crazy experience to make. Um, so doing the album launch is going to be the final, I guess, um, cherry, glacier cherry on top of um, a cake that's taken me a long time to bake. <laughs> well, here I wish you all the best with that, and and. I can't thank you enough for giving up your time today. It's been a real, real nice time chatting records with you. Such a pleasure, mate. Yeah, anytime. And I hope your your first podcast has been okay, mate. I hope I was uh, I wasn't too tough on you. I was nervous at the start. But no, it's great, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. And, um, 
yeah hope you get to meet sometime soon absolutely well if it's all right with you um when this comes out i'll tag you in it on the social media so people can uh can, can yeah. go and find the new record if they haven't found it by then of course please do yeah and i'll share it no problem wonderful hugh have a lovely day and i'll speak to you soon take care speak soon thank you there you have it what an absolutely delightful man uh that was a wonderful chat really really nice chat and uh well i don't need to tell you that you know you're at the end of the podcast you've you've listened and enjoyed um go and check out uh, hugh's solo album uh links to it in the um accompanying um bio for this podcast so go and uh, find it on there and click it and uh and yeah i i hope you had as much fun listening as i did recording um once again, thanks to Hugh, and uh, and obviously biggest thanks goes to you lot for for listening and supporting the podcast. As mentioned at the beginning as well, should you want um, to uh, explore off the beaten track some more, then there is also um, aside from 150 episodes in the the vaults that you can listen to for free. You can also support the podcast at Patreon, where there's hundreds and hundreds of episodes over there that have never seen the light of day to the masses. So um, you can go and join the Patreon gang and get access to. The bundles of stuff over there all right that's me done thanks ever so much for listening and supporting off the beaten track podcast um you can find out about all the stuff i said at off the beaten track podcast.com and i'll be back next time uh look after each other and i will see you soon bye-bye i've got an announcement save our souls clothing www.sosclothing.co.uk why am i telling you this because they're our official sponsor yeah that's right Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So, if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk, official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track Podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It may stew with him. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.